Hello friends, Pastor Tim Westermeyer here, senior pastor of St. Philip the Deacon in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. Uh, good to be with you as always. In last week's episode, we talked about some questions surrounding Easter. One of the questions that I had was what I was going to be preaching about on Easter Sunday. Uh, turns out I answered that question. And during this first week of Easter, we thought that rather than do a separate episode uh, in this place, we would simply replay my Easter homily. So I hope you find it helpful and meaningful, and I send along to you and yours Easter blessings. Be well, stay in touch, and God bless. So let's begin with the traditional Easter greeting. I will say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. You say, Christ is risen indeed, Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. We are so glad you are here today, all of you, to celebrate this most important Sunday of the church here. We're grateful for your presence, whether this is your first time worshiping with St. Philip the Deacon or you've been here many years. We're grateful if you're in the sanctuary or if you are in our overflow seating in the narthex or fellowship hall everyone in Fellowship Hall or the Learning Center, or if you're joining us uh, digitally, we're so glad to celebrate this amazing, wonderful day with each and every one of you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This Easter, I have been thinking about um, a word that shows up a lot in the New Testament. The word is power. And uh, there are a lot of Greek words that translate to power. The most frequent Greek word in the New Testament, though, uh, for power is a word dunamis, which actually is more familiar to you than you might think, even if you do not speak Greek. It gives us words like dynamic or dynamo or dynamite is maybe the most um, important one. It shows up 120 times or so in the New Testament. And that word, that uh, concept surrounds the entire life and ministry of Jesus. I'm not going to go through every 120 uh, instances of it, but just to give you a sense of how it surrounds Jesus' whole life and ministry, uh, it comes up in that beautiful song, the Magnificat, that Mary, Jesus' mother, sings before he's even born. And as Jesus begins his public ministry, we're told he is sent out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in his ministry, he does all these signs and wonders that are filled with powers, miracles, and healings. And among other things, he teaches us uh, the prayer we still pray to this day. We'll pray it later this morning, the Lord's Prayer, which we conclude by saying, for thine is the kingdom and the and the glory forever and ever. And that um, concept of power in the life and ministry of Jesus is ratified. It is completed, it is perfected in what we are here gathered to celebrate today, the Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus, through which as Christians we believe God's love triumphs over all that is dark and evil in the world and overcomes once and for all sin, death, and the devil, which is why for 2,000 years we Christians have come together to celebrate this day and to give thanks and among other things to sing. And how about a word of thanks for all of our wonderful musicians, huh? (laughs) 
and to share that Easter greeting. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. All right, so that's how we think about this story, Christians. Turns out for 2,000 years, the rest of the world isn't quite so sure. And they look at us and say, well, you talk about this story as if it's a story about resurrection power. I'm not convinced. And so people might say, for example, well, Jesus seemed like a really nice guy. I'm sure I would have liked hanging out with him. And yes, it's too bad and kind of tragic and sad that those awful, evil Roman people put him to death and the story ended so tragically. But obviously, it didn't end with a resurrection. Obviously, what happened was that those followers were distraught and sad and filled with grief and confusion. And so they made up this story Who knows why? To make themselves feel better, to convince other people. And because the people in the ancient world were kind of thick and kind of dense, they believed it. And here we are 2,000 years later, and people still are talking about it. To which I say, okay, fair enough. You know, there are a lot of criticisms and critiques of the Christian faith. There have been for 2,000 years. As Christians, my view is we should not be defensive about them. We should hear those critiques and criticisms, and then we should respond, because it turns out we've been able for 2,000 years, whether you know it or not, to respond to those critiques in a reasonable, coherent, rational way. It doesn't mean we're going to convince everyone of the truth claims, but the truth claims are not totally crazy. And so to make that point this morning, I want to put the life and ministry of Jesus in a little bit of historical context, precisely for the purpose of bringing into greater relief how incredibly, unbelievably powerful, unexpectedly powerful the resurrection was. I think this idea of putting these stories into context, into perspective, is so important for us to understand what really is happening. So, in the ancient world, the Judeans, from the beginning of time, basically, were oppressed and occupied by the superpowers of the ancient world. It started all the way back in Egypt when they were slaves, and then when they made their way to the Promised Land, they were overcome and oppressed and occupied by a succession of the ancient superpowers. First it was Babylon, then it was the Persian Empire, then it was the Greek Empire, then it was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is the one we know about from the New Testament with Roman officials like Pilate or puppet Jewish kings like Herod, right? Now, so that's going on. The people are oppressed. There is no question about that. Meanwhile, what is in their scriptures? Language, ideas about what? A Messiah, a royal king who will come to save them, to free them, to throw off these oppressors. So it should not surprise us at all that there were lots of other people in the ancient world who either claimed to be the Messiah or or whose followers assumed they were the Messiah, not just Jesus. There were scores, dozens, probably hundreds of them over the centuries. But just to focus our attention a little bit, in the 30 years before Jesus' uh, death and resurrection to the 30 years after his death and resurrection, so a period of about 60 years, we know the names through historical sources of 13 of those Messiah figures. 
and we know what happened to them. And this will sound familiar to you. Remember, we're putting Jesus' life and ministry in context. What happened to these 13 Messiah figures who were occupied under the Roman uh, authorities? Well, turns out Rome didn't like people challenging their power. And so they found these people, they sought them out, they arrested them, they publicly humiliated them, they tried them, they uh, tortured them, and then they killed them, each and every one of them. Sound familiar? Yes? It should. So then what happened to the followers of these Messiah figures? In every single case, one of two things, either the followers gave up the cause, they said, whoa, it's a little too hot in the kitchen for me, this has become a little dangerous, I'm out. So they give up the cause, or alternatively, what did they do? They find another leader. They say, well, this one, the one we were following, clearly isn't the Messiah because he is dead now. So I'm gonna follow this guy over here and hope for better next time. Do you know what none of those followers did? Not once after their leader was killed, publicly humiliated. Not once did those people, those followers, go behind closed doors and say, I have a really good idea. Let's tell everyone that our leader was raised from the dead. They'll believe that, won't they? Why didn't they say it? Why didn't they come up with a story like that? Because it sounds crazy. Can I get an amen? And it turns out, friends, that the people in the ancient world were not as thick and dim-witted as we think they were. When someone died, do you know what they knew? The person stayed, what? Dead. They didn't come back to life. Right? You know who else knew that? Some people you've heard of. The disciples of Jesus. And when Jesus, their Messiah, their leader is killed, they follow the pattern of followers of other Messiah figures to a T. What do they do? This is all in the Bible. You can read it. They flee. They say, we're out. This is too dangerous. And they give up all hope. Not only of the cause, they give up all hope of ever seeing Jesus again. Until what? by some mysterious, miraculous power of God, Jesus makes himself known to them again. I cannot overstate this, friends. They were not expecting to see Jesus again. Not in the least. And yet, there it is. The power of the resurrection, Jesus making himself known to them, and then the power of the resurrection is more than just Jesus being raised from the dead, although it is certainly first and foremost that. It's also this power that then takes these disciples who are scared and afraid and fearful of their own life, hiding behind closed doors, and it sends them out, out into the world to publicly share this unbelievable, crazy, impossible news that their Lord and Savior has been raised even to the point 
of them giving their lives in service to that story. So we celebrate today the power of the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the way it, it, it galvanized those disciples and brought them out from behind closed doors. And we also celebrate the way it continues to activate the church down to this day. I know, friends, I know it is fashionable to say, well, the church, you know, that's a thing of the past. Clearly, it has run its course. Clearly, the church is going to go the way of the dinosaurs. You know what the problem with that is? The church, it turns out, has been around for a long time, 2,000 years. And you know what isn't still around? The Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. If you were an ancient person, where would you have bet your money? On one of those empires still being around or on a criminal who is executed publicly by Rome with a bunch of ragtag followers? I would not have put my money, I don't think, on those earliest Christians. And yet here we are, which tells us what? This is something seriously to think about during the entire Easter season. It tells us that we are still here. I love you all very much. I am a big fan of St. Philip Deacon. I think it's an amazing place. I don't think though, as brilliant as we are, that this place is sustained only by our genius or our perfect faith. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. How is it sustained? By God's power, which is alive and well today. And so today again, we give thanks for Jesus' resurrection, absolutely. We give thanks to the disciples who gave their lives in witness to that story. And we also give thanks that today, God invites us, my friends, into a grand adventure in which we are able to receive that power of God, the power of forgiveness, the power of grace, the power of kindness, the power of peace, the power of love, and then share it with the world in need. I think that sounds like a really exciting adventure to go on, people. And with you, I cannot wait to see where God leads us into God's bright and hope-filled resurrection future. For thine is the kingdom and the? Power. And the glory when? Forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Blessed Easter to all of you.